episode 398. What does it really mean to have enough? Jarek Robbins. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, founder of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one personal leadership podcast network that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Thousand Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk, Awaken Your Alpha, How to Rise Up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. Get to the podcast. Closing in on the big 400 and six years of Awaken Your Alpha next week. I have some big things planned. Please do connect across all social media and follow outside of the audio podcast to not miss out and make the most of some great guests and some big announcements next week. Okay, this week I am really excited. I'm always excited, but I'm particularly excited for today's guest. We have Jarek Robbins on the line. He optimizes human performance. He's a best-selling author. Fast Company calls him inspiring and says he'll make your life less ordinary, which is what we're all about here. Forbes says Jarek will teach you how to succeed. Deepak Chopra will, will advise you to go to Jarek to help create meaningful and fulfillment in your life. The list goes on in terms of people who have great things to say about Jarek. This is one I'm really excited about. So please do listen in. Firstly, Jarek, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Let's do it. I'm, <laughs> I want to awaken the alpha within. Let's see, see what this feels like. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I could have spent the whole show just reading, you know, your bio, your awards, what you've done. You're a, you're a best-selling author. You've done a TEDx talk. You've, you've done lots. You've been featured all over the world. So, I mean, is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? Did I miss anything? What, what are you all about at the moment? Um, so the core message, I think that's important for people to hear. And it, it's really simple. It's to reach the people that need it most at the moment they need it with the message they need. And I, I think if, if we comb it down and, and even take it down to reach the person, the one person, you know, if our work is able to go out there and do that, we're, we're successful. And that's what we do. We're blessed to have clients in 110 different countries actively learning with us right now, which is a lot of fun. Wow. And it, I haven't even been to 110 countries. Like there's places I'm like, damn, <laughs> I would like to go there. And someone is learning from us there, which is amazing and such a blessing. But the, the real, you know, underneath it, we're lucky that every single day we get little messages from around the world of people saying, hey, I really needed that. Or thank you. That was so useful. Or, ah, oh, shoot, that's what it was. And, and those are the simple ones. The, the deep ones, they don't come as often, but when they come, my goodness. Um, I remember getting a handwritten letter from an airman who had been deployed in the military. She came back, she had horrible PTSD. And in the letter it said, you know, dear Mr. Robbins, for last week, I've had my firearm in my mouth wanting to pull the trigger every night because I can't, I don't know why I'm alive. And she said, someone gave me a copy of your book and said, read it, it'll help. I was reading through it. And I just wanted to say thank you because it reminded me of my reason why I want to keep on living. Wow. <laughs> and I remember thinking, my God, if that's all we ever did as a business, if that's all I ever did as a person was just get to that one person at the moment she needed it with the message she needed, huge success, huge success. Like all the other stuff's cool. 
but reaching yeah. someone when they need you most, I think is one of the coolest. Definitely. I want to touch on your origins. Where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from today? What did you want to be growing up? Like, tell us a little bit about the journey. It's such a, a great spot to be in and, you know, really impactful message. But just tell us a little bit about the A to B. Sure. Um, so this is always fun. I, I never know how far back to go to entertain people <laughs> or what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, going back to school, I was a BNC student. I wasn't that great. I, I was okay in sports. I was decent at stuff. Um, right around my senior year of high school, I made a decision that I was going to apply all kinds of kind of personal development programs. So I went to work, I started doing it. I went from a BNC student to a straight A student. Um, I, I started to get healthy, started to excel in sports. And I was like, man, everything's kind of coming together because I'm applying myself in a whole new way. Uh, fast forward, first job was Blockbuster Video. I wasn't old enough to I, work at the I love Blockbuster Video. I used to like just going around there and wander. It was a whole like, I had one at the end of my street. You could walk, make a whole thing out of it now, not just like yeah. a click now. <laughs> That's right. And so they hired me as security because I was big enough that I could look over the shelves and I could scare people <laughs> away who were stealing the DVDs and games. So I would be, I, they would have me work Friday and Saturday nights when it was most busy. And I would just literally roam up and down the aisles staring at people all night. <laughs> um, and it worked. Theft went down by 70% as of the week me, I started working. So Whoa. they had me there. And theft dropped to the floor because apparently I scared away whatever people were saying. You're already the getting the performance stats from an early That's right. <laughs> That's right. I was very clear on my stats there. I want to know how I was doing. Um, fast forward, took a trip around the world that changed my life. Um, that was really interesting. I, I spent three months stacking lumber up in Canada, just doing hard labor. Oh, whereabouts then, in Canada? Uh, so Fort Langley, just outside of Vancouver. Okay. So north, about an hour. And I was up there stacking lumber all day. Um, that, that was a good reminder, especially in times like this. Generationally, we haven't lived through global tough times. Mm. Uh, we haven't. We didn't live through the Great Depression. We didn't live through seeing our parents go stand in line for 12 hours just to get the opportunity to put in a couple hours work so they could afford a loaf of bread that night. Mm. We didn't experience those times in history where masses of people were in that position. And, and we're just coming up on the very first time as, as, a, as a society that our age people are just starting to experience something similar, but different to that, uh, which is what's going on right now in the media and in, in people's health. It's the very first time we've been close to something that our ancestors have lived through many times over. And, and so what I was looking at is, could I fall in love with having to do a job I didn't like? I actually mm. like hated. I was like, oh, this, this sucks. But could I fall in love with it if that's what I had to do in order to take care of the ones I love? And so yeah. I spent three months doing it. It was not fun in the beginning. Well, in the beginning, I was trying to add a chip on my shoulder. I was trying to prove that I could do it. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, and also just to, obviously, if people are, depending on when you're listening to this and what year, this is, you know, March 2020. So right in the middle of it. So it's a, it's a crazy time, crazy week. And I'm sure going to be a crazy few months at least. So um, obviously, we're talking about coronavirus is definitely going to affect our conversation in, in some way, shape yeah. and, and form. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of it was in the beginning, it was a challenge. Like I was going to show people how tough I was about halfway through. I'm like, am I stupid? Why did I sign up to stack wood all summer? Like <laughs> this was a stupid idea. I, I got to be dumb. Like this got to be some stack of dumbness in, inside of me. Like this does not make any sense. I could have been getting an internship. I could be making money. And what landed up happening though, was I remember 
looking across and there was a guy who was probably in his 80s. His name was Uncle Dubai was his, his nickname. And this gentleman <laughs> had stacked lumber in Dubai in 130 degree weather. He'd stack lumber in Canada in negative degree weather in the snow. He'd stack lumber ever since he was 18 years old. And I remember asking him, I'm like, well, why'd you choose to stack lumber? Like, why this career? Why didn't you choose another thing? And he says, in the Indian community, the oldest male is financially responsible for the family's finances. At the time, he was 18 years old. Older men had gone away and he was the oldest male and now in charge of his finances for his oh. family. And so he owned the position and stepped up and the thing he could do that he was good at, that he knew he could succeed at was stacking lumber. So he became a lumber stacker since he was 18 years old all the way to his 80s. And, you know, as a young millennial guy, I was like, do you love it? He's <laughs> <was> like, no. <laughs> I was like, you spend your whole life stacking wood and you don't love it? Like, I think you got to love wood if you're going to hang out stacking wood your whole life like that. And he's like, no, 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 not necessarily. And he's like, but it gave me the opportunity to feed my family for all these years. Yeah. And I, and he, I bet he loves that. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, he loves. And I was standing there going, wow. You know, what a weird mindset I grew up in, which is like, do what you love, chase your passions, you know, do, do what calls to you, find your calling in life. And this guy was like, no, no, take care of the people you're responsible for. Wow. I was like, huh. He was willing <laughs> to do something he hated his whole life just to take care of the ones he loved. Hmm. But there's something special about it because he knew what it was to serve others in a beautiful way. Yeah. And to really be there. And I was like, wow, what an eye-opening experience. And instead of thinking I'm better than this or I'm smarter than these people or why the hell I should be telling them what the, I should be the foreman, all this junk. I was like, well, maybe I should learn how to fall in love with this moment. Maybe I should learn how to be a really good wood stacker. Yeah. Because I looked around and I'm like, honestly, if I were to give myself a rating on stacking wood, I'm not the best wood stacker here. And I think I'm better than this. Mm. Oof. That's ego and attitude, man. Yeah. I need, I, need to, I need to step up my game. I need to be the Michael Jordan of wood stacking. <laughs> it's interesting what you're saying there as well about, you know, just discounting certain lines because maybe your, your, grand, your dad did it, your parents did it, or grandparents. Because, you know, my, growing up, my dad's a builder. And I just, I don't know if I, I just discounted that as, a, as an option. Yeah. And it's ridiculous how much I enjoy building and creating stuff in my house now. And I always, I always like, I didn't even give it the time of day. I could say I hate stacking wood and quit and go find something I love. Or I could not like stacking wood, but learn to love it, mm. which means I could do anything. And I was like, wait a minute, let me rewind that for a second. If I quit because I hate it and I go in search for something I love, I will only be happy when I find what I love. And if I can do that, if it happens to become illegal, I'm screwed. And now I have nothing I love and I got to do something I hate. And now life sucks. But if I take something I don't like and I learn how to fall in love with it, then I can do anything because I can fall in love with anything I choose to for the rest of my life. And what does that look like? Are you thinking in terms of just falling in love with the process of mastery of anything in terms of, you know, wood stacking or whatever it is to get to, you know, where you want to go? There's the key falling in love with mastering whatever is right in front of you. And I was like, oh, what a simple lesson. But I was missing it because I was so concerned with 
did I love it? Is this what I was made to do? Is this what I was built for? Is this prestigious? Is this, is this all that I'm ever going to add up to? I was so concerned with all this other nonsense that I was like, oh, I'm missing the opportunity to master the thing that's right in front of me. If I can master the art of the simple stuff, my God, I can master the complex. I, I felt like the, the karate kid at one point where I'm like, am I mastering wax on, wax off right now? Like, is it this simple? It sounds like you had the frustration of the karate kid when he's been told to wax on, wax off. And he's like, I what did. am I doing? I'm like, why am I stacking wood? Wax on, son. I'm like, this is stupid. Well, link to a Mr. Miyagi. I mean, that sounds like it's one of your awakening moments, but are there any other particular ones that stand out for you of a turn? That was obviously a, a turning point in some ways, but where you're like, ah, this is, this is the path. Totally. I'll give you another one and I'll piece it together in three ways. Perfect. Um, and so the first way, when I was really little, getting ready for high school, I remember watching music videos. MTV music videos were so cool back then. Mm-hmm. And watching those music videos, I, I, there was a specific video that if that video came on in the morning, I knew I was going to have a great day. And the video was hypnotized by Biggie Small and Puff Daddy. <gasps> oh, yeah. Like, that's an epic video. Oh my I'm goodness. like, oh my gosh, there's helicopters and cars and motorcycles and helicopters. the one that's in and, black and white? I think it, or, uh, it starts in black and white. Yeah. And then there's like a car chase where he's going backwards in the Mercedes and there's a yeah. Hummer and then there's a helicopter and a yacht and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, man, if I could experience that kind of life when I grow up, like that's really, really living. Like that, that's like, the, <laughs> that's like master living. And, and so I'm looking at that thing and like, wow, that's interesting. I, that, like, that would feel like more than enough. Fast forward, got done stacking lumber for three months, got on a cruise ship called Semester at Sea and did a lap around the world in university while studying on board the ship with 700 other students. It's amazing, life-changing. Yeah. And I remember getting to South Africa and we went and visited a village, w- w- which is like a shanty town. And most people are living in these little tin houses. And then they opened one of the rooms to show us what, it looks like how people live. And there was two single beds in the size room of like a college dorm room. And they said, this is a two family room. Two families with five people in each family live in this room. 10 people live in one college dorm room and five people, mom, dad, and three kids live on each single bed. And I remember being like, wow, that's a whole different experience than what I've seen growing up. Mm. Like I've, I've never seen it. And that was the luxury part of town. Like that was the really nice part of that part of town. I was like, holy smokes. And that kind of started to twist my head a little of what enough felt like. Fast forward. Um, I ended up going back and living in a village in Uganda teaching organic farming just because I saw people living in little tiny mud huts made out of mud and thatch roofs and clay walls. And I was like, I got to help them. Didn't feel right to go home and just go to school every day. Like I wanted yeah. to help. So I moved back to Uganda. I've been to Uganda and I, I helped. I painted a school in Uganda. Yeah. So I, I lived in a village called Kangalamira just outside of Jinja, about 20 minutes down the road. Oh, Jinja. I, I know Jinja. I don't know that one you mentioned before that, but wow. That's some of my, yeah, great memories. It's just across the bridge and then 20 minutes and a little taxi down the road. It's a little tiny pineapple village. Yeah. Because to fall in love with life without needing anything was freeing. Mm. Like we didn't, have, we didn't have a toilet, didn't have electricity, didn't have running water, but everyone was so happy. And we yeah. were so content with life every day, just helping people in the village. It was so beautiful to just be living and enjoying being alive. Fast forward, got malaria, and that's not fun. And at one point, the doctor had to scare me into taking medicine, so he told me I had six days left to live. Ooh, I remember being like, <laughs> oh, 
20 years old, six days left to live. That was not the plan. Mm. And I remember at that moment thinking, what is enough? I'm like, man, enough is just being healthy. Like if I could just be healthy and fit and strong, that's more than enough. And then I met a girl, I interviewed her for my podcast a few years ago. And she was born with cystic fibrosis, which means her lungs are going to shut down at some point. She had a double lung surgery where they cut her open, cracked her open, pulled out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, sewed her back up. Life was good. Fast forward, went out in life, was living. Things were good. Met a guy, you know, fell in love, got married. Everything's, and she told him like one day it might happen. And one day she has a random seizure. Her lungs stopped working again. This, the new pair. Went back to the hospital. They told her, you should just go on a hospice because if the second pair is not going to work, there's no point in trying a third. Like just kind of slowly die. Good luck. Sorry. Nothing we could do. And we've told all the other hospitals too, they shouldn't help because they could waste, they could use the time and effort helping other people who have a chance. So she went home and cried and said, I didn't fight this hard to stay alive all these years to give up now. She wrote a hundred letters to a hundred hospitals, four wrote back and said, we'll try. One of them took her in UCLA in California. She went there. They kept her alive on machines. One night, two in the morning, she gets the call. Hey, we've got a pair of lungs for you. I think it's a match. Take her in, cut her open, open her up, pull out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, sew her up, wait the next day. Her husband on the podcast said, the next day I've seen, I saw the biggest smile on my wife's face that I've ever seen in my entire life. He said, I wish I could say her smile was bigger on our wedding day, but I'd be lying. It was the <laughs> biggest smile I've ever seen on my wife's face. And she had a tube down her throat, keeping her breathing. And she scribbled on a board and turned it around. And on the board, it says, I can breathe. And she said, the greatest feeling any of us will have in our entire life is the ability to breathe on our own free will. And I remember thinking, wow, what does it mean to have enough? Mm. And at that moment, I thought the story was over. And then they rushed her right back in for emergency heart surgery because her heart was starting to fill with fluid. They're like, my God, like, God, look out for this girl, please. (laughs) And then she went in for another surgery. And there's this beautiful picture. Uh, that I captured. She posted it on her Instagram and it's her stitches straight down the middle of her chest. Her gown's open a little, just so you can see the stitches, a tube coming straight out of where her heart is draining fluid out, her little glasses on and two thumbs up with a big smile. Oh my God. And I'm just looking at her thinking, my God, yeah. if she can go through all that and be so damn happy and excited to be alive, what does it really mean to be enough? If, if your heart's working, whether it's a pacemaker or your actual heart beating and you can go and take a breath on your own free will my god you have more than enough to do whatever you want to do in life wow <laughs> yeah this is a, definitely a perspective check and your book live it achieve success by living with purpose i mean you kind of summed up some some key points and i'm, I'm feeling you know I feel like I'm having a slap around the face perspective wise of what's going on at the moment, but talk to us about, you know, some of the key, obviously messaging things you want to share that is shared in that book. Yeah. Um, so that book's simple. That's 10 years of my life of just living and trying to figure things out and looking back and saying, Hey, if I were to hand myself a guide 10 years ago that I could have used to navigate these last 10 years, what would be in it? Mm. And that, that's the book. Chapter one is figuring out what your ideal vision would look like. Chapters 2 through 11 is how to turn your one-day vision into reality. And chapter 12 is, okay, great. If you made a one-day vision and made it real, create a life vision. Create a 20-year vision and do the exact same thing that you just did with one day 
with 20 years. Yeah. You touched on the transition, the, the wood chop, the, the wood stacking, I should say, and being brought up and sort of like pursue your passion. And, and, you know, we've all got to work out what is our purpose and find that fulfillment and purpose. How was that challenge growing up in the environment as opposed to say in a mud hut in Africa compared to sort of the environment you were brought up in and the, you know, probably people assuming that, oh, it's, it's all so great. What was that challenge like and, and some of the, the struggles and obviously you, you've, you've come sure. through it, but associated with that because it's, it's, you know, everyone always assumes grass is greener on the other side. Sure. So, you know, in looking at awakening alpha, what does alpha mean to me? Alpha means service of others the ability to lead, the ability to care deeply about people beyond yourself, having that mission or purpose, being aligned with your values, you know, doing, living life according to what's most important to you, not doing what you love, but living according to what's most important to you, regardless of what you're doing. Mm. If family is your highest and most important value, when you schedule your week, you schedule your family in first. Instead of, oh no, I, I schedule my work hours and then I kind of put my family wherever it fits. Like, no, no, I schedule my family and then I find work that can fit around my family because my family is more important than work. It's like, oh, and that, that, that kind of breaks the paradigm of what most people look at. And that's something that in the beginning I didn't practice as much. And now I practice very regularly. That, that's one of those things I struggled with in the beginning of like, when I got a job at Blockbuster, I didn't get to decide what hours I get to go work. That's the beginning. Yeah. Now, I sit down and I plan my, our week. And the first thing that goes into my calendar every week is the time my wife and I are going to spend together. My health time, my working out time, my fitness, all that stuff. And then I look at what's left and then I schedule work into the hours that are left, not the other way. But how did I get there? I didn't just decide that one day at 15 and go, that's the way it's going to be. I took the vision, chapter one, <laughs> all the way to chapter 11, made it real. And I figured out how to navigate that bridge, how to get across that, that chasm there to go, ah, that's the way I want my life to be. I want the freedom and flexibility so that I choose how my days go based on how I want to live, not constantly reacting to what everyone else wants me to do. Yeah. And it, it took a grip of years to get there. One thing that was probably one of the greatest gifts, even though it doesn't sound like a gift, I remember my dad and I talked. Um, there's a couple people in my family who've done extraordinarily well. My grandma, uh, she's been in life insurance and annuity sales for over 35 years now. And she's been a top achiever at every company she's ever worked with. She sold cold calls three days a week at 82 years old. Like wow. if you're not cold calling for your business, at least three days a week, my grandma is kicking your ass. So, <laughs> yeah, and that. so the, the thought though, she's been a top achiever in every company she's been with. And, and the piece that comes through that is she's achieved a lot. And it's like, wow, that's possible. Now, the rest of my aunts and uncles, not so much. They work real hard and they have good jobs and they're hardworking people, but they didn't achieve like her. On my dad's side of the family, most people have good jobs, hardworking people. They didn't, you know, they, it's normal, good working people kind of stuff. But my dad did extraordinarily well. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. And so when I look at the two people who kind of popped like popcorn and did extraordinarily well, my thought was like, what was different about them? How did that happen? And for both of them, not, neither of them counted on other people giving them a hand up or a handout. Neither of them counted on other people teaching them. Both of them faced massive adversity. You know, when my grandma was little, she grew up at a time in Los Angeles, California, where, you know, we're brown. 
So, so we have Spanish uh, in our blood and American Indian in our blood and Mexican in our blood. And, and she used to go to the swimming pool there and they'd let all the brown and black kids swim. And then afterwards, when they'd get out, they would drain the pool and scrub it with soap before the white kids went in because, you know, you don't want to mix wow. anything up there. Yeah. So she grew up in that kind of environment. It wasn't like, a, oh, we're all friends. We all care about each other environment. You know, my, my dad's more white than, than that, but he's kind of brown too-ish. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know he had that kind of history and ancestry. Huh. Yeah, and so that's on my mom's side. On my, on my dad's side, and he, he had some rough patches growing up when he was younger. And, and he went from, you know, a homeless kid to, to building lots of companies now doing extraordinarily well. And when I looked at neither of them had a hand up or a handout. And, and the one thing that my dad was really clear with me that was actually extremely helpful is at 18th, right before I was finishing wrapping up all my school stuff, he said, here's the thing. I'm going to help you through school. He's like, that, I'll help you with that. You know, I'll pay for the school, help you keep your apartment until you're done with school. The day you graduate, here's the rule. You're on your own. And there's one rule when it comes to money. Don't ask. And I was like, uh, but uh, like, mm, uh, yeah, what, Christmas time? Like, unless I really need it, right? <laughs> but there's those feelings. Yeah. And here's what he told me. He said, no, that's the time when you're going to learn the most. He's like, if you literally run out of money, it's totally fine to be homeless. And I was like, really? Now, my mom on the other side was like, honey, you can always come stay with me. And I was like, no, I'm cool, mom. Like, I got, I'm okay. They weren't together. My dad was like, you can sleep on the street. You'll figure it out faster that way. Trust me. Wow. I was like, oh. Powerful. But there's a truth to it. There's a truth. And, and I remember my dad and I went to go visit the Maasai tribe in uh, Tanzania. Mm-hmm. A little touristy now, like there's people yeah, go see yeah, him. No, and I've, I've been, yeah, so a little bit touristy. And, and, but. but at the time, we talked to the, the village chief, and he told us like how things used to be back in the day. And part of the ritual that used to happen there was when a boy was right around 14-ish years old, um, the way it works is in the middle, they put the cows, then they put the women and children in little huts around the cows, then they put a big, thick, thorny fence around that, and the men sleep on the ground outside of the fence specifically to protect against the lions. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they got the like, guns and stuff? Like, <laughs> you're protecting against <laughs> lions. Stick, stick. No, they have yeah. a stick. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. And, and I'm like, okay, so men sleep on the ground outside the fence with a stick to protect against a lion, the king of the jungle. Okay, how, how does this turn out? Like, do you guys have a lot of men in the village still? <laughs> like, how many of them die every day? And he goes, well, at 14, here's how the transition goes from boy to man. They go in the village, they kidnap the boys at night. So they wait till they fall asleep, they grab them by the ankles, they rip them out of their little hut, throw a sack over their head, tie them up, and the women scream as if they've been you know, kidnapped and are going to be murdered. So they're like, no, not my son, no. So the guys are even more scared as they're getting dragged out into the middle of the woods. And then when they get to the middle of the woods, they take the little hood off, and it's like their uncle, their brother, their cousin. And how a boy becomes a man is they leave him in the forest with all the other boys, for 12 months and they're not allowed to come back to the village. Wow, sounds like Sparta or something. (laughs) But they have to learn how to do two things. They have to learn how to protect themselves, not get killed by whatever's out there. And they gotta learn how to provide for themselves. They gotta learn how to go get food and stay alive. And if they can't do those two things, there's no place for them in the village because they can't provide or protect for the village. 14 years old, the last thing they have to do before they come back to the village is they have to kill a lion by hand with a spear and then bring the lion home. And so they do it, and now they become a man. I was going to say, now, now your dad's saying, 
you can't ask for money doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> so he elbowed me at that moment and he looked at me, he's like, ready to become a man? I looked at him, I'm like, are you ready to become a man? <laughs> like, I'm gonna leave you in the forest for a year out here, see what happens. And, oh, and at that moment, both of us realized like, oh, there's things we didn't learn growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but there's truth in that where it's like, wow, how do you transition? How do you let a, a good friend of mine, I took one of his programs a long time ago, it was a brilliant program. His name's Eben. Um, and, and he has a, a program called On Becoming a Man. And he talks about this same exact concept we're telling right now. And, and he says, he said a phrase that just stuck in my head. He said, the boy must die for the man to live. And there's a boy inside of all of us, the one that likes to pull on the pigtails of the girl to get her attention, the one that likes to tease or pick on other people around us. And he says, that part of us must die for the man to come to life. I remember thinking like, oh, and it, it goes back to that same village. Like you got to let the scaredness of the boy disappear so you can truly learn how to step up and take care of the ones you love. And I remember seeing that and then realizing like, wow, men literally sleep on the ground outside the fence to protect against the lions that might try to attack the village and the cows. Was there ever a point where you thought you was going to go completely, you know, in the other direction for anything that your dad has gone just to do your own thing, just almost just for the sake of it, just out of that, that stubbornness, like just discounting it. Was there ever a point like that? Um, so people either that I've noticed um, when there's a strong element within a family, um, the same thing happened to my grandma. A lot of my aunts all become insurance salespeople. Yeah. My grandma was an alpha person in insurance. And she's like, well, why don't you just do what I do? And they're like, oh, maybe I'll do what grandma does. And they got into it. So when there's an alpha presence, it's very easy to be like, well, that seems pretty legit. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's either completely replicated and or um, violently opposed, where people are like, I don't want to be anything like them. Or I want to be exactly like them. Yeah. Um, I, I had some of the I want to be exactly like them in the beginning. And it, it was just one of those things. I'm like, I, I've seen this guy from the inside out. He loves to help people. He loves to serve. He loves to make a difference. And some of the things I picked up in the beginning were like, he's trying to reach millions of people. Well, I want to reach millions of people. He's trying to, to go all over the world. I want to go all over the world. And I kept asking that question, but what's true to me? Mm -hmm. like, like, what's the deepest truth that exists within me in this space? And it was really simple. Reach the one person who needs it most at the moment they need it with the message they need. And I was like, my nervous system doesn't need to reach a million people to know that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I just need to get to the one person who really needs it every day. And when, so silly, but the moment I transitioned and that kind of clicked and I was like reaching the one person every day is more than enough. Everything opened up and we started reaching people all over the damn place. Yeah. But in the pursuit of trying to reach all the people, never picked up traction. We, I mean, we did. We, we had one year where we did 20 events around the world in 20 cities all over and all this stuff by ourselves. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it, but it, never, it never really did it. It never really stuck. It never really kept moving on its own. But as that natural piece that was just the truth of mine, which is just find the person and get to them each day. Yeah. As that truth kind of whittled down to what was real, it just worked. Yeah. And it's very special when that happens. Well, I want to start to wrap this up uh, with a very quick alpha round. And I'd like to start that with 
is there a particular book that was very impactful for you at a point in your life that just really kind of is what you needed to read at that time? One of my favorites that would be highly useful for this audience is The Amazing Development of Men um, by a lady named Alison Armstrong. She studied men for 15 years. Never heard that one. And broke down the developmental stages that every man goes through and what we're capable responsibility-wise of taking on at each stage. Brilliant recommendation. Is there a particular favorite quote of yours? Again, it really sums up your approach to life. So there's this one for the people watching. I, uh, I see it. Says, it. Learn it, live it, give it. And it's a, it's a really simple approach. That's a, it's how to build your peer group. It's how to just go about, it's kind of my philosophy on life, mm -hmm. which is figure out what you want and go learn what it takes to get the result. You got to learn. You got to study it. You got to research it. You got to really put in the effort of learning it. Two, you got to live it. So you got to take everything you've learned, put it into practice and actually get the results you want. Actually get the life you want. Actually live it. Then step three, give it. Pay it forward. Find a way to pay forward the information and help other people learn it and, and live it as well so you have more peers on the path that you get to enjoy it with. Yeah. Um, you'd find you know, a third of your peer group would be people you can learn from. A third of your peer group would be people you can live it with and share what's working and what's not. And a third of your peer group would be people you could share with and help them catch up so you have more people at the same level and more. I really like you know, that application, the concept like that. That's really good. Um, from having gone through the bulk of the interview now and obviously your network, who do you think would be a great guest for Awaken Your Alpha? They'd like to do it and it's just a fit and they'd obviously offer a lot of value. Her name's Dr. Leah Lagos and she works with Olympic athletes, hedge fund managers, like the top you could call them alpha personalities of the yeah. world. And she teaches them through breathing how to actually maintain absolute peak performance through whatever they're doing, golfing, trading, buying stuff, selling businesses. She'd probably be a great fit. Yeah. She has a brand new book. Um, she takes her process. It's normally like $15,000 to go through with her one-on-one. -on -one, and she broke it down into a book that's just about to be released. Wow. That sounds like great recommendation. Brilliant. And if people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way they can do that? How can they connect? Uh, find me on Instagram, Jerick Robbins right there. Um, go to our website, jerickrobbins.com has tons of information, free content. Uh, subscribe on YouTube to our stuff, jrctv.com. So any of those places we pump out content daily. Brilliant. And I'll put all them, I'll put all them on, in the show notes as well. Well, Jarek, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for the time. So welcome. Thanks for having me. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talk x c e l e r a t o r.com. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. What is your idea worth sharing? I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to speak with you very soon.